Good early morning, ladies and gentlemen, crypto traders worldwide. Um, this is not the usual news update. This is going to be an out-of-cycle update that's more informational in nature. Let's say it's coverage. Let's say that it's commentary. There were a lot of interesting interviews that happened recently and then some some revelations that were made over the year 2021 as we look back that give me more confidence in my bullish stance leading into 2022 kind of bolstered by what I heard and what I saw. And I'm going to segment this particular episode into three different elements. The first is going to be NFTs, and I'm going to talk about NFTs a little bit more in depth. The second is going to be around wallets. I talked about Wallet 101 and versus exchanges. This is dedicated to wallets and some things that you should be aware of when you are figuring out your wallets. And the reason I'm talking about it now is because more of these blockchains are coming aboard and there may be projects that you're looking at that are going to call for a different type of network to be involved. And I want to make sure you think about how you want to do your wallet strategy because you're going to need to plan this out. Many of you are not like me where you actually carry multiple physical wallets. I carry two physical wallets. One of them is for my personal expenses. One of them is for my business expenses. And the reason I do it as separate is so that I don't confuse the two. Then they are literally two visibly separate wallets one looks shiny one is dull one is brown one is black one is thick one is thin so i purposely segment them so that visually when i'm walking up and i know i need to do a transaction i can pick up the right wallet for the right transaction this concept of separated wallets is what i want to be talking about with the crypto space and hopefully this will be of help to you once you get to a certain point of getting invested in cryptocurrency because as I said before, it's not the same as with stock market where you can diversify within one portfolio. You could do with wallets. I want to talk about that. But you also might have some separation, purposefully so. And I want to talk about that in case it makes sense for you. So NFTs is first up. Then I'm going to talk about wallets. Then I'm going to talk about networks. And when I say networks, I'm referring to the difference between the types of networks that are out there and why you want to make sure when you are sending currency to one place or another that you are always paying attention to the network. And if it seems like it's a lot to think about, there is. I'm only touching in my podcast a fraction of what you really need to know. You're inundated by various ads and things, and I like to introduce some informational pieces every now and then because I think it's it's healthy, healthy dialogue. So... I'm going to jump into this, but this is not today's update. Today's update will happen later, probably in about two hours or so. Then I'll do my usual, but this is kind of out of cycle for this informational piece. So let's kick this off with NFTs. And just for full disclaimer, I've got a fair amount of NFTs myself. I've not paid a penny for any of them. I have close to 20-ish NFTs of varying artistic styles. I actually minted my own NFT that's for sale. On OpenSea, so I have an NFT that I wanted to kick the tires, go through the process, make sure I knew what it took to create an NFT from scratch, and it was very easy. Anybody could feasibly do it if you had artistic talent yourself, or you have a kind of a photo that you feel is timeless, like you just have you have something that you believe has intrinsic value to somebody else. Then you could feasibly mint that as an NFT and arguably sell it to people as something they can own, quote unquote. And that's the core of NFTs. If you didn't understand 
kind of the, the what's going on with NFTs and why is it making so much money, you got to understand the concept of intrinsic value and the perception of value to people who buy it. I'll go back to the examples I gave before for people who are roughly around my age. They will remember the Teddy Ruxpins. They will remember the Pogs. They will remember Hello Kitty, the current day Pokemon. There are certain things where there's just an intrinsic value to people that cannot really be explained. To this day, Transformers is one of the major sellers in terms of action figures, as is still, you know, Legos in terms of toys, as are board games. Certain things have intrinsic value, the perception of value to different people. And you can't always gauge it. Sometimes there's just something that catches somebody's eye. Sometimes it's just people that have extra money to blow. Sometimes you, it seems like it's a good gift for somebody. And sometimes there's just a collectible aspect to it. That's really NFT in a nutshell. I don't want you to think about it as really a utility type thing, although there are utilities around NFT. The predominant use case of NFT is the perception of value to somebody. That means that you have something that looks or behaves a certain level of attractive. In an NFT, you are essentially owning data, data that exists somewhere on the so-called interwebs, right? You, you own a piece of data. You own a piece of history. Like the, the very first tweet that that idiot Jack from who left Twitter, thank goodness, his very first tweet, which is the very first tweet of the platform, became an NFT and it sold for big money because it's a collectible item. In the past, this might be the very first newspaper that was ever printed from a newspaper in a regional area for some, you know, the beginning of World War II or something. And those might be archived, you know, kind of preserved in some sort of frame or something and put up on a wall. Or I have a photo in my catalog that I'm going to be turning into a poster that is the only known, and I say known because there could be others, but the only known photo that shows Michael Jackson with any of the temptations. And in this case, it's Eddie Kendricks. And I, I didn't, I wasn't aware that the two of them were even ever together in the same period of time. Then I have other ones where if David Ruffin, for example, and he's with a tiger and it's like a pink type deal and he's got a, his car in the back. These are kind of situations where I see value in these for me. I can't put a price on them necessarily. However, they to me have value. And so with an NFT, somebody has created something that they believe has value to somebody else. Now, there are some silly NFTs. I'm sure you've at one point or another seen the stupid meme of the little girl looking back and there's a fire going off behind her. And the girl who was in that photo apparently sold that original, the original print as an NFT and made lots of money off of it. Now, I question the value of that. To me, it has no value because it's just a, it's just a joke photo. Same with the girl that's looking incredulously at the camera and her mom, and that's a weird one too. And there's one where the lady's looking at a sign or something. There's all these weird ones that I see no value in whatsoever. But the there's now a picture floating around of the Staples Center removing the letter Staples and adding Crypto.com. I believe that one's going to become a signature photo at some point, uh, tearing down a certain buildings that are kind of part of history. So there are certain ones that I would believe have value and certain ones I think are absolutely worthless. However, that's just me. Other people might see value in some of these things, just like artifacts from Marilyn Monroe. I would consider them valuable. There aren't many left that are not already owned. 
versus somebody's house that, you know, like Andre the Giant's ranch. He had a ranch out there. It's been torn down since, I believe, but he had a ranch out there. To me, that would have the greatest value of any property I can think of outside of Neverland. And Neverland's still out there, and it's owned, I believe, by a financial company. So you have to think of NFTs as perceived value. To somebody, there's some value in it. Kind of the uncertainty and the reason that, like, Snoop Dogg, for example, came out and said, you know, it's kind of addictive is you can't know the value to different people, and you can't know what somebody's willing to pay for something. And so you get these, you know, cards or whatever it is in the NFT, because you can have cards, you can have animations, you can have all sorts of things. And then all of a sudden you get an offer to say, I'm willing to pay you for this. And the offer might be low, like $2, or it might be high, like $10,000. You just don't know. So then you collect them as part of, an, you know, kind of your inventory and archive, and you sit on them, which is what I do. I just collect and sit on them. However, I have one of them that is appreciating in value, but it takes some time. I just got it, I believe, earlier this year, and it's steadily appreciating in value. And so similar to the way crypto works in general, you start getting these ones that over time, they're going to get to a, a level of where they have significant value. That value is based on the same principle as crypto, one of those aspects, that being scarcity. So in this case, there was only 25 ever minted, and I own one of them. And I'm one of you know 25 people who owns one, and everybody else who's selling, the minimum they're selling for currently is $20. Some are selling for 60, some are selling for 100, some are selling for 1,000, some are selling for 10, some are selling for 40,000, believe it or not. And there's not much to the card. However, the card, and based on what it's around, is Satama. And if you follow Satama's journey, Satama's popularity is increasing steadily to the point that Anybody that wants to, that likes NFTs, that is a Saitama trader, becomes a Saitama trader, you got to think about celebrities and otherwise. They're going to start looking for these cards and they're going to say, you know what, maybe I want that card, I'll put an offer on this thing. And if you happen to be one that's sitting on it that they want, you might get a pretty high offer for it later on down the road. And that's been my thought process is I'll just hold it because somebody may see strong value in this at some point or maybe not. In some other cases, I might say, you know, this is, I'll just sit on it and keep it. And it is what it is. And I'm not going to worry about selling it. It'll just be part of my collection. And that's fine too, because there's nothing wrong. Like in most, all of them, the artwork is stellar. So if nothing else, they're just cool cards to hold. And at some point I may display them physically if I choose to. But the interesting thing about NFTs, and I talked about Snoop Dogg, if you've been following the, you know, with Matrix, Keanu Reeves and Carrie Ann Moss, of course, who starred in the Matrix quadrility now, quadrilogy, and the most recent movie that came out, Resurrections, uh, came out last week, I believe it was. And, you know, Keanu Reeves is, you can tell he's, been, by the way he was talking, you can tell he's kind of a nerd and he's into crypto. He has some crypto. However, he doesn't follow the terminology of it, so that tells me he probably uses like a financial advisor, which is smart, to manage what cryptos to buy in or not buy into but he also was talking about nfts and he doesn't really see much behind the nfts and they kind of laughed at the there was some nfts that were released around matrix resurrections and i suspect this is only a theory but i suspect that the the uh nfts were actually official things because if you remember back when matrix reloaded re launched they had all sorts of blitzes around it they had the game that initial one that was garbage, not the later one, but the initial one, and I forget the name of it, but there was a game 
around that one. It featured um, that one featured Niobe, and it was basically garbage. And then they did the Path of Neo, which was the good one. Um, that was basically the game, and then they tweaked a couple of things. But ultimately, the first one was crap, and then the second one was good. But then they also had things like the Animatrix and others around it. And then they were building uh, Matrix Online and all these other things that they were capitalizing on the momentum of the movie. That's what this NFT push, I believe, was. Just them kind of getting into it as well. And if you do follow any of the Matrix stuff, you'll know that they historically have kind of hooked into whatever technology happened to be around at the time to help promote the movie, which is a brilliant strategy if you think about it because it's a movie that's rooted in technology. You know, the idea of being plugged into a matrix, the idea of, of everything essentially being data and things being encrypted and, you know, what's real and what's not real. Well, that has a perfect tie into NFTs because people have always questioned and criticized NFTs because you're not really owning anything real. And this is true. In the NFT world, you're not really owning anything real, hardly at all. You're owning a piece of data, essentially, and it goes back to the perception of value. To some people, there's a perceived value. And that's why Snoop Dogg, who was one of the most notorious, it was found out, traders of NFTs, he was going under a pseudonym, but he outed himself. And turns out he buys NFTs like nuts. And so it just it goes to the perception of value. And you kind of have to separate logic when you think about NFTs. If, if, you wanna, if I'm being honest, you have to separate your logic from the equation and just start thinking about it in terms of the perception of value. What's valuable to you might be crap to somebody else and vice versa. It just is what it is. That's that's the nature of a free market society is that anybody can have value in anything, even when we inherently might think it's garbage. Remember when we had things like Kirby and things like Tickle Me Elmy and all this other stuff that just seemed to crash stores and go, it's the same thing. That's it's the same exact thing. It just it's just something about society and human nature and tendency that causes that nonsense and we can't really explain it beyond the perception of value. And that's what we're dealing with NFTs. So if you're not in NFTs, I'm not going to tell you whether it makes sense to do it or not, because again, it goes to the perception of value. You might look at certain NFTs and say, that looks cool, but you might not be willing to pay for it. Right. Or you might see something that looks like absolute garbage and it's given for free. And because it's given for free, you recognize, well, maybe it might be valuable to somebody at some point in the future. Okay, no problem. Just be a careful with NFTs, especially with airdrops where they talk about quote free, because unless it's a trusted source, you might be setting yourself up for potential scams. And there have been some breaches on the NFT side. So you just want to be studious. Make sure you do your research. Make sure it's a trusted source. And I know trusted's kind of sketchy because you're not really sure what's trusted and what's not. Some rules I can help you with potentially is generally speaking. If it has a blue check mark on OpenSea or whichever NFT minting platform that you're using, it's treated as trusted. It doesn't really mean it's legit, but it's treated as trusted. Most of the airdrops are coming from places like Discord. Some are coming from Reddit. As long as it's in some type of organization or individual that seems to have the best of intentions, meaning that they're doing it because they're a fellow trader of a token and they just happen to be an artist and they wanted to share their work, that's potentially a trusted source because they're a peer right? They're trading the same token you are, and they are sharing in the success with other traders. So that might be something that you do watch out for. I wouldn't just go farming forums for free airdrops because 
obviously the value of different NFTs is going to go up and down. If you like the artwork, that's a different thing. Just be careful if you're going to do it is all I'm all I'm putting out there. But recognize that a lot of celebrities are aware and they're involved and they're invested, whether to a large degree or a small degree. That means for the naysayers out there, NFTs aren't going away because you have now the richest elements involved in this thing. That means it's here to stay. And I think it's going to evolve. I think it's going to take a different form. We're starting to see music NFTs. So that would kind of be a pseudo replacement for what we now know of as buying an MP3 of an album, because of course the industry resisted that for years, but with NFTs and musical NFTs, it allows you ownership interest in a thing. And it allows the content creator to profit greater than they do on the local music side. And then of course, streaming, if you were to wrap this all into NFTs, it means that now, you can persistently own more portion of your streaming rights. If you ever heard the story about Left Eye from TLC talking about how you can sell 10 million records and be broke, it's a very intriguing video. Go watch it on YouTube. But you see that the power was always within kind of the management tier, the production and everything else, and they took a great portion of the shares from a lot of the artists of the past that we loved. They weren't, they weren't made multimillionaires like they should have been with some of the music that we still remember. Today's artist had the benefit of coming in right when streaming was starting to hit a peak. And so they were able to capitalize on more lucrative contracts. Well, then, to me, Music NFTs is the next evolution of this, where you can back it with rights and the money rights and everything tied to NFTs that people want to buy into and still make a profit as an artist coupled with, of course, your touring and your live events. So there's a lot coming with NFTs, I believe. This is my personal theory. There's a lot coming with it. I don't think it's going away. And anybody who's a naysayer on it, I would argue, doesn't really understand it. Even I don't fully understand it, but I understand enough of it to believe it's not going away. And I say this just because at some point in the future, there's nothing stopping the reality that NFTs could eventually be something that you interact with on a daily basis because of the way that it's evolved. For example, you might have NFTs that are supporting things like titles and deeds for autos and homes. This is lofty visioning, but I'm just laying the foundation for what's possible with it, depending on which way they choose to go. So let's get into wallets. You, if you are in crypto, you probably already have a wallet. So I don't need to define a wallet for you. What I want to do is I want to extend your definition of a wallet to a little bit more than what you might have thought was the case previously. And the reason I think it's important and valuable to my original analogy is that at some point in the future, it may make sense for you to segment your wallets for the purposes of control of the currencies that you trade. So with a wallet, let's, let's ignore the definition of wallet for a moment, but let's just break down the core elements of a wallet. Obviously, it stores your cryptocurrency. It can also store your NFTs, believe it or not. there It's just data. At the end of the day, it's all just data that's being stored, and that data may or may not correlate to fiat equivalency. Now, you have different levels, and I talked about this in wallets versus exchanges. You have different levels of your wallet. Your wallet actually is comprised of whichever core network currency, and I'll talk about this more on networks, but your core network currency, so whether that's Ethereum, right, Phantom, Polygon, 
Binance, Avalanche, etc. The core network is really the currency wallet. And then within this, whatever currency is on that network are all included in this. That means that if you were to take your Ethereum and you were to transfer it to, and when I say transfer, I mean literally take the private key and plug it into a different wallet, all of your subcoins within that network are going to flow along with because they're associated with that same wallet address. This is the reason why if you were to, using some specific examples, you have Ethereum, right? And then you have Ethereum Classic. And then you might have Satama. And then you might have SHIB. And then you might have, I don't know, something else that's that's um, on a different network off to the side. Everything except for that one that's on a different network is going to flow over with that same wallet address for your Ethereum. So if you were to move that one key, it's going to pull those other coins, your Satama, your SHIB, all over to the one to the other. A lot of people have been trying to do moves for one reason or another. Maybe they want a different wallet. Maybe they were told to do it. Like with Cytomask is coming out, they may need to do it and so on. And they've had difficulty doing it. That's why I want to explain why there's a difference and why it may not be easy for you to do it because it would have had to do with how your wallet was created. For this example, I'm going to use Trust Wallet because it's one of the most notable out there. I will try to piggyback it with MetaMask. I don't use MetaMask heavily, but I do have it. And then I'm going to combine that and contrast it with Atomic Wallet, which is the wallet I started with. And it still actually is, it's copied basically to one of my other wallets. When you build a wallet in Trust Wallet today, if you build it from scratch, but now the most recent version, this wasn't always the case, but in the most recent version, it's going to create what's called a multi-chain wallet by default. A multi-chain wallet says it doesn't really care about any one individual crypto network. It'll allow you to receive all of them. That's the default. Before, it would let you delineate whether you wanted a multi-chain wallet or you wanted a separated wallet because some people didn't want to have all of their tokens in a multi-chain because it makes it harder to move between wallets. Coinbase wallet was the same way. It used to, I believe it might still do, used to allow you to choose which way you wanted to go. Now you ask yourself, if I never plan to trade Binance or I never plan to trade Polygon or I never plan to trade Avalanche, does it make sense to do wallets specifically to those? And I would submit to you that I believe, in my opinion, it's never good to leave all your eggs in one basket, which by which I mean, I don't think it's a good idea to assume that you'll never need to move the wallet out. You can still move it, but it would have to be a multi-chain wallet to a multi-chain wallet. And some other wallets are still the separated wallet. So you could not take your multi-chain wallet address, for example, and send it over to Atomic. It's not going to work clean. If you wanted to use Alpha Wallet, as an example, it'll take it, but it's buggy with the Binance side. So there's all these quirks and weirdness associated with the wallets that you might go to one day that you got to be aware of. Now, I want you to be aware also that in the single wallet scenario, you are at giving access, generally speaking, to the private key for a given token, so network token. So this is important because the private key, what the wallet manufacturers are trying to do is basically hide that from you 
to try to help protect you from losing your crypto because anybody who has access to your private key could take it and plug it into another wallet and then completely have access to your crypto. So they've noticed that people are giving out the private key, not understanding the difference between the private key, which you should never give out, and the public key, which is always used for deposits. And so they're now trying to hide it. Like Coinbase wallet doesn't even give you access to the private key anymore because they removed the access to see it because they don't want you to inadvertently give it out. It's one of those best intentions type thing that I don't agree with. And here's why. With my Atomic wallet, I have access to the private key. I have access to full access to do what I want to do. Atomic wallet has been tried and true. Its interface sucks, which is why I don't use it. But in terms of the, the flexibility aspect, I love everything that it offers outside of a terrible interface. And because I can access the private key, it means that I can take what's there and I can move it to another wallet at my discretion. And, and I can selectively move, in this case, just Binance or just Ethereum, which I much prefer for my own portfolio. I am at some point going to have a separate wallet for each network because I don't want to have the same address brokering Binance and Ethereum side tokens when you have tokens that are different networks. I want to keep them separate. That also lets me manage gas because today, any Ethereum type transactions, any Binance type transactions are all happening in the same wallet and it makes it harder for me to account how much I'm spending on the Binance chain versus the Ethereum chain versus the Phantom and so on. Because now I have to click into each and every one of them to just see it. I can't get a holistic picture of anything. And I want to know at a network level if my theory is correct that Ethereum is just wasting money, essentially. Even though Binance has slippage, I'm still way under what Ethereum is for the same transaction types. So at some point, I will have my separate wallets. But in order to fully do separate wallet, I could do it with separate multi-chain, but now it gets confusing because it's still going to show me all the other network coins. So what recently happened was I happened to see that, okay, there's Ethereum here. I want to go ahead and select Ethereum and show it. But now Ethereum's on the Phantom chain. Ethereum's on the Binance chain. Ethereum's on the Ethereum chain. Now it gets confusing because I can't clearly tell that it's truly the Ethereum I want for that network. And I'll talk about that on networks. So I want to exclude the multi-chain so that it's only showing me what's relevant for this network. Guarda, which is another wallet, lets you selectively pick what shows and what doesn't show. So it has a little bit better control, but it's buggy as all get out. So I don't use it like I want to because I can't trust the results that I see. So all the testing I've done with the various wallets has just led me to believe it's just cleaner to have this separated coin level or network level wallets so that I can see only what I need to see within that network. I'm never going to do cross chain unless I'm doing a bridge. And if I were doing a bridge, it wants you to start with one or the other anyway. So it doesn't really harm anything. So when you decide to build your wallet by default, if you're going through Trust Wallet, almost to a T, it's going to be a joined wallet, a multi-chain wallet, and you can't you you can't really adjust away from that unless you import your wallet to it. And then when you import it from one that was not multi-chain, it'll come in as a single wallet. But you cannot create single wallets there. The funny thing about MetaMask. MetaMask is a single network wallet. So if you go in there and you look at the top, it'll say Ethereum mainnet. That means you're on the Ethereum 
chain and it's designed for Ethereum specifically and you would need to switch it to Phantom or switch it to Binance. So it allows you to create the singular wallets. It does not allow you to join the wallets together. The weird thing though is that you can store the other network tokens within that address. You just can't access them without switching the mainnet at the top. So it adds more hoops when and if you want to switch to another network. I don't like MetaMask's interface, generally speaking, because when you have to see, for whatever reason, the broken out tokens, or you need to see tokens that are, sometimes you'll get tokens that were sent to you that you didn't know were sent to you. I talked about that. You need to be able to see those. It's not easy to know that they're there, and it's not easy to get them to show, in my opinion, compared to Trust Wallet and you can always connect to PooCoin to see those, but MetaMask just doesn't make it a simple process, which I much prefer. That's number one. Number two, MetaMask has had some issues in the past with security, and so I don't necessarily trust it fully. Right now, its sole purpose in life for me is to hold my NFTs, and that's because I didn't pay for them, so there's no money lost if I lose them. But also just because everything is leaping towards trust wallet, generally speaking, I've kind of hung my hat on trust wallet generally but because it's limited in the multi-chain wallet i'm not able to do what i need to do like i could have done with metamask if i trusted it if that makes sense so what i decided is i will combine all these different just like i do with exchanges i will pick and choose with multiple i will have trust wallet for certain aspects i will have meta for certain aspects and i will go back to atomic for other aspects just so that I can get the blend that makes best sense for me. And what I might end up doing, in fact, is just to set up the multiple wallets inside of Trust, or excuse me, Atomic, and just deal with Atomic except for with NFTs because Atomic does not have a browser function. So that's what I might end up doing. And at that point, there's no reason for me to hang on to Trust Wallet if I choose to go that way. If, if and when Cytomask comes out, I know there won't be things like staking and that sort of thing. It's going to need to be tested. I'll kick the tires and see if it makes sense. I've not used other wallets like SafePal yet or the SafeMoon wallet because I don't really want to be stuck into one ego either. I don't want it to be predicated on one assumption. I want it to be kind of disconnected and separate because what happens if those tokens shut down? Now you've lost potentially your your token. So I'm still a fan of the separate wallet that is independent from a token, 100% independent or as much as close as possible. So I will talk through the mechanics in my for myself and figure out which way it's going to go. What I want you to your call to action is to be thinking about whether it makes sense to you to have separated wallets or not. And maybe it doesn't because maybe you're too early in the process. I just think that and I'll talk about this now as I close out with networks, I think it's going to become more important to have that conversation. If you have, you know, others in your family that are part of the decisions, you're going to want to think of it. So let's, this is a perfect segue into that networks conversation. When more networks are getting more steam, and I don't know if you've followed price movements, but Polygon, which is the Matic token, has had some significant movements. Avalanche has had some significant movements. A lot of this is based on the delays with ETH 2.0. And gas fees have kind of come back down on ethereum to be fair they've come down they're a lot more reasonable than they used to be but there are still times when it just spikes for no darn reason 
and some of this is based on the way they wrote the contract and the and the token that you're trading but to kind of send from one wallet to another is like 20 something bucks but then if i compare that against binance binance is like 16 cents right polygon is like 12 cents and you know xlm is free most often algorand's free most often and so a lot of these networks that are coming up now these alternate networks and alternate options they're offering a vision of a future where we can work crypto and nfts without being ripped off on gas just to put it in perspective i must have spent nearly a thousand dollars just on gas well if i had taken that same thousand dollars and invested it into satama early on i'd have been a millionaire by now satama is an ethernet token and so when i tried to buy in back when i did it was hard to get in it because the gas fees were getting in my way they were wanting like eighty dollars to a hundred dollars i wasn't doing it and then eventually i just relented and did it but only got twenty dollars worth of satama for eighty dollars worth of gas when i saw that i just kind of swore off of it and i've not for the purposes of buying tokens spent a lick of ethereum gas ever since i refused to do it i'm anti that it's not going to work if I'm transferring, it is what it is. Like I've had to transfer in order to realize profits because again, I'm not going to sell my Ethereum directly in the wallet and get nailed on gas fees on the way out the door when I could spend $20 or $30, send it to the exchange like Gate.io and let them you know, cash out and it's basically no gas and then I can turn it into Algorand and send it to Coinbase or send it into Binance and send it that way. So. I've kind of manipulated the system a little bit to get a better flow to where I can still work these tokens. But the vast majority of the tokens I own now are on the Binance Smart Chain because of the the kind of rush away from gas fees. So a lot of this that you're hearing about newer networks coming on board is a reaction to the egregious gas fees that have happened on the Ethereum side. Now that means something very particular for you. It means that if you want to get involved with some of the tokens that are going to be coming on these newer networks, the vast majority of them that I think are going to be worth your time will be on multiple chains long-term. If they have kind of established themselves on one network, like many have established themselves on Ethereum, like SHIB has established itself on Ethereum. And I know SHIB has a Binance token, but that is not run by the same team. If like Kishimoto, for example, they have set up on Binance and Ethereum and Phantom and one other one, I think it's Avalanche, those it's run by the same team. So it's all the same ecosystem and they've done it because they want to allow you to buy it whichever way makes most sense for you. The challenge is, of course, as I mentioned, the Kishimoto episode, they may have a hard time in advertising, getting more interest to the product, but I believe firmly that they are positioning themselves for a 2022 that is heavily bullish. And so they want to make sure that no matter how you come at it, you can buy into the token. And then if you want to swap it to a different network, you can by way of the crossing. Their strategy to me is the smartest, which is you, you as an investor don't have to really worry about which network something's stored on. You can make a decision based on what makes sense for you. If you're sitting on thousands of dollars and the gas fee doesn't bother you at all, kudos you can go ahead and buy through ethereum and it's fine but if you're like me and you are adamantly against being ripped off on gas them giving you the option to buy in on a different network so that you're not getting ripped off on gas to me should be kudos to them and any token i would argue should have the same flexibility like theirs is kind of what i see as the vision of the future is that 
any of the tokens that you might want to buy into have multiple ways to buy it. And if you think about how stores work, right, you can buy bread from any one of 20 different stores, which allows you to price around and say, this store is offering it for 30 cents cheaper versus this one. So I have the choice to go over there and buy it from there and save some money, even though it's the same bread. That's the vision of crypto that I have, and I want to see more of it, and I believe we will see more of it. So I want to talk about how that works. Basically, you're taking liquidity, which is nothing more than the value of token and supply. So if value is in Binance USD or in BNB or in Ethereum, whatever that source currency is, generally it's going to be a stable coin more often than not, or it'll be like Ethereum wrapped Ethereum, which is kind of cross chain compatible, you know, so you have some source currency of some kind that is designed to broker the transaction of the crypto that you're trying to trade. So when you create a liquidity pair in whichever exchange or swap, you are saying, you know, you give me USD tether and I will give you the equivalent amount as far as price, current price of whichever currency that you want. If it's an exchange, that might be USD Tether, it might be USD as in the dollar, could be some other fiat local, so like a euro, pound, whatever that is, whatever your fiat is in your country, or it's one of the stable coins that doesn't really care, or it's like a BNB or Ethereum that is kind of the assumed standard currency for the network. Some use other alternate currencies like Cake, which is pancake swap specific, some might use uh, Uni, which is a Uniswap token. So you can use alternate types of currencies to just broker the financial part of the communication between what you want and what you have. When that comes into play, your network then makes the transaction happen on your behalf and then gives you back what it is that you bought. This is generally how both exchanges work. In the decentralized exchange, so pancake swap, sushi swap, Shiba swap, etc., somebody has programmed a liquidity pool to try to profit off of your transaction because they're putting their own money in there and they're getting paid a fee in order to support the transaction for you. When you get to a certain level of advanced crypto trading, you will want to look into liquidity pools and building your own liquidity pool. So let's say, for example, that you have, I don't know, $1,000 of Binance USD. BUSD is the token, and it's a stable coin, quote unquote. And you also have another of the tokens that's out there. So let's say, I don't know, Floki, right? And you want to make some profit off this because you see that Floki is hot and heavy. And there's a lot of volume, and it's on the pancake swap. You can build your own liquidity pool by putting up your BUSD and your Floki to create a pair so that when people go in to buy or sell Floki, you are getting a piece of that, getting a cut of it. It's like staking, but you're staking two of them for the purposes of getting rewards off of it. Well, now if you do that and you have 10 of these, this builds up, it stacks. And so you're getting kind of this passive income situation simply because you're allowing others to use your money that's similar to the way the banking system works, but now you're, you as an individual investor are able to do this. The, that's, to me, the long play of where crypto's going and how you can leverage the popularity of the networks that's growing now 
to kind of get in on the ground level. Because if you're able to do this on, say, a Polygon or Avalanche now, you will be in good position for when these start really ramping up because you will be one of the people that's supporting the network's financial transaction path and you're just collecting passive rewards off of it. Some of you may not be in a position to do that yet. It's something I want you to think about. Think about the long play of where crypto will be going in our future based on what we see of the performance of these networks today. Polygon is not going down. It's going up. The increase of usage, especially because of NFTs and the in fact that it's free to mint NFTs and the fact that it's cheaper to transact. Think of networks like Algorand, networks like XLM, networks like Tron, Avalanche, and and Phantom, and so many others. If you're if we look at it now, these networks are basically the intro stages of what Bitcoin eventually became. So if you're able to position yourself with enough capital in crypto to start looking at a liquidity pair, and I challenge you, your call to action is to research liquidity pairs and how to build a liquidity pool, whether you do it on Binance or you do it on Ethereum or any of them or all of them, just research what that means, how you would do it, what you think might make sense in terms of the investment. And remember, you would only want to put in there what you're okay being without because you're, you can't touch those funds once you put it in there. It's an investment. You're putting it in there with the expectation that you're going to get rewards on the back end. And then you can start making your money make money for you. Isn't that cool? And that's what I want you to think about. How can I make my money make money for me? You'll have to get to a baseline first, which is why I want you to make smart investments as you research and find ones that are stable. And I don't want you to YOLO into any one because that one can tank and fail. And I want you to have a diverse portfolio because any one of them can tank and fail, but it's unlikely all of them will have significant losses. So you should always back it with stable ones so that your basis stays the same. But then you should at some point be positioned to build liquidity pools of your own and then just forget about them. Send them off to the side, forget about them, and then now your money's making money for you. So networks, as I see it, in 2022, the growth of all the alternate networks outside of Ethereum is going to be exponential. This is my prediction. And I think anybody who builds liquidity pools now against these various networks on QuickSwap for Polygon, as an example, PancakeSwap for Binance, Uniswap for Ethereum, and you know SushiSwap and ShivaSwap, and, and you're able to just kind of get, get a piece of each and every one of these as much as you can. And you will need to have a decent amount of money, so I'm not going to say this is a cheap endeavor, but I am saying that if you're able to do it enough with enough spread, I think it's going to make so much passive reward for you that the trying to chase after that next token that's going to moon becomes less important because you're going to be making so much money passive, you wouldn't even need to work for a living, essentially. And you'll have so much free income on the side that you can just invest in whichever token without really caring if it takes it one year or five years to really get to a point of profit because your liquidity pools will be making so much money for you that the individual token becomes less relevant. The individual token just simply becomes kind of the stable point of your portfolio. So networks are going to become a big thing, I believe. I'm predicting that now. I think 2022 is when you're going to see all of the different networks really stepping up and taking on the vast majority of the traffic. And we're going to see, I don't want to say an exodus, that's not fair, but we're going to see a shift away 
from primary Ethereum, you're still going to have tokens that get on Ethereum because that's where all the people are, especially in the United States. But I think the vast majority of tokens recognize they need to get on multiple networks now. They need to embrace kind of the Binance smart chain more than they have done in the past. Polygon's going to start to hit a fever pitch. Solana's already at a fever pitch. And then investing in those core tokens as well can help your portfolio. So you can benefit at the forefront of all this growth. And remember, you don't have to care about how many tokens you own. Just create a basis of how much money you're willing to invest in each one. And then just sit on it. Don't worry about it. Ignore it and let them organically grow because they take time to grow. Once you get to a point where financially you're in a position to start thinking about liquidity pools based on your research, once that time is right, if you start building liquidity pools and start realizing rewards from the liquidity pool, and now you sit back and you just watch money kind of flow your direction without having done anything, now you can use this income, reinvest it into other tokens that seem to make sense, and you're just compounding your value over time. Hopefully, this has been a very beneficial episode for you. Um, like I said, probably in about two hours-ish, I will come back with today's official update. But I wanted to make sure I get an informational update out for you because I, I don't want to leave you guys behind on the informational pieces and only focus on the news. But if it has been beneficial, please do make sure you spread the word about the podcast. It's what keeps it going. Tip jars there. If anybody wants to tip, that's always there as well. But I will continue to record minimum one episode per day. That's my commitment. Of course, Christmas was an exception. Um, but I will record on New Year's Day as well because there won't be much going on. Take care.